Welcome to What We Call Love, a podcast series empowered by Bumble and the Twenties Club. I'm Madeline Walker. As the saying goes, there is a lid for every pot. There is a person who is so well suited to you, so well attuned to your soul's specific roster of values and needs, flaws and inconsistencies, that if someone were to tell you that this person had been tied to you with an invisible piece of string, well, you'd believe them. But what happens when you lose your lid? Or, put a different way, what happens when you realise that your lid wasn't actually a lid, but a pie dish or a loaf tin masquerading as a lid? OK, I've lost you. Look, what I'm trying to say is today's episode is about divorce, OK? It's about the D word. Last year, close to 9,000 couples in New Zealand were granted divorces. And currently, for every 1,000 marriages in this country, nine of those will end with one or both parties wanting to call it quits. Our generation has already rewritten the rules for courtship, sex and marriage. So I'm not about to speculate what our divorce rates will look like 10 or 15 years from now. Relationship expert and psychotherapist Esther Perel believes that for a lot of millennials, we're guilty of falling into the trap of asking ourselves, is there somebody better? Is this really as good as it's gonna get? It's that age-old problem of wondering whether the grass is greener in someone else's garden. Helen Fisher, on the other hand, an anthropologist who studies romance, was a little more optimistic, coming up with the phrase fast sex, slow love to describe the juxtaposition between casual sexual liaisons millennials have and the long, simmering, committed relationships we gravitate towards. And then best-selling author Marion Keyes, who has been writing about modern women for over 20 years, believes we are suffering from what she calls a crisis of commitment. Because we're living for so much longer than previous generations, a 30-year-old woman could easily live to see her 100th birthday. And therefore, the thought of being married to just one person for 70 years is, you know, a little overwhelming. But I'm less interested in the before and more interested in the after. When you find yourself either voluntarily or unceremoniously back in the dating pool, how do you know you're ready to try again? How does divorce colour your outlook on love? How does it shape the person you are and the expectations you have for your life? When you've been hurt, who or what do you lean on to regain a hold of your optimism? Where do you find the strength to become an advocate for yourself again, despite the parts of you that still quietly believe you're not deserving of such goodness? This episode is about divorce and pain, sure, but it's also about love and hope and how sometimes being let go allows the glorious journey towards self to begin. Here's Lara and I for what we call love. Okay, so how did you and Jay meet and what were your early years of dating like? Oh, so we met when I was 15, he was 16. We met at youth group, which is like um, a Friday night program at church for teens. And I remember he was this Christian boy that was just a little bit cheeky. He was in a punk rock band, so... Naturally, I started 
dressing like Avril Lavigne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he. I had a crush on him first. Mm-hmm. And then he had a crush on me, but we were friends for five years. How so. did you know he had a crush on you and how did you... Oh, he, he said to me, one day we'll end up together. And I was like, no, we won't. He said that at 15? <laughs> no, no, later, down oh, the line, like near the end of our five years of friendships. And yeah. When we, when we were getting closer to start dating. So around like 20 or 19. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And how did it transition from friends to dating? Oh, we were we were just we were serving at church at a, at like this kids holiday program and I just realized in that week that we were serving together I just wanted to be around him and I was like, Oh no, I do like him again <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it, it was just a natural progression from this foundation of friendship into dating. It was just a sense of ease. We had our personal jokes, we just got each other. And what do you think made you fall in love with him? Like, how did you know that he was the person you wanted to spend the rest of your life with? Mm, I thought, like, thinking back, it's kind of hard to answer that because I do struggle to reconcile the us of now with the us of then. But I do remember having such a sense of... I I felt so secure that this was the man I was going to live my life with because he had this resolve this really strong desire to be a good man I remember being really attracted to that and to his charm to his faith and um that he was my best friend like he he just felt like home yeah yeah all the things that we are told yeah to, you know that are, are good signs and you guys ended up being together for 11 years and you were married for six of those years. Yeah. Looking back on your time as newlyweds, did you have any challenging seasons or issues that came up that perhaps foreshadowed challenges that you guys would ultimately face as a couple near the end of your marriage? Mm, yeah. Well, after only a year of marriage, we moved over here from South Africa and when you do something life changing like that, you you have to be a team. Like we really relied on each other, and I think that bonded us. In the first couple of months of being here, I really struggled, and I and I lent on him to be my rock. But then we slowly created a life here. We had jobs, friends. We found a church. We were traveling, and we gained momentum. Yeah. But I think there's this silent issue that creeps in when your lives become too separate. Right. And so when you say that you were leaning on him because you were struggling, what were you struggling with specifically when you first moved to New Zealand? Oh, like loneliness. Definitely. We had, I mean, we moved here on our own. We didn't have family here. We were our only family. So you lonely, yes, but you also like, who am I? Because if I'm not actively and every day a sister to someone a daughter to someone right a you know someone that you went to school with who am I all of a sudden you know it was there was a lot of uncertainty but Jay maybe didn't feel those same no he'd come over two months prior and he'd found a job he was meeting people there like he had purpose to his day yeah and I still had to catch up with that and, and so how did he sort of reconcile you feeling lonely with him feeling like, well, my life's quite full now? Oh, in the beginning, he he was very worried for me and he was 
definitely there and 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 helped me through that. But I think he's always loved his job. He gets a lot from it and he's really good at it. But I think as the years went on, that became his own thing and I was excluded from that. Do you feel like he viewed his career as perhaps higher in the hierarchy than maybe your marriage? I don't know. Like, I can't, I can't speak for him on that. At times, certainly began to feel like that. And I think the more I felt excluded from his life, the more I pushed it to be a priority that we, you know, focused on us and that your marriage can't go on autopilot. But I think he saw that as codependency and wanted me to have more hobbies and spend more time with my friends. In terms of like your intimacy as a couple, you know, in that newlywed stage, was that, did that feel the same way it had felt, you know, back in South Africa as it did when you came to New Zealand? Oh, I think, I think when there's a disconnect, it creeps into the bedroom. So as we were kind of drifting and didn't even realise it, there was a, a drift in, in, in the bedroom. Yeah. And I think I took quite a bit of the blame on myself feeling like I didn't have a high enough sex drive. Right. Which I now know is not an issue and not the problem. I think it's really important to take note that if you want to have sex, make a girl feel sexy. And if you want to make love, make a girl feel loved. Yeah. But there was a lack of intimacy. There was a lack of vulnerability and that is never a good thing. Did you guys talk about the lack of vulnerability and lack of intimacy? Or was it the elephant in the room that wasn't spoken about? I think there were, you know, when you're in your couple groups, you know, sometimes there's this little truth and jest comments about not having enough sex. But I think in terms of the vulnerability, I've always been able to express my feelings. Whereas I think Jay used to try and protect me from any stress or worry. So he, he would hold back on some things. Yes. So he wouldn't really let me in. Like if he was stressed out at work, he might tell me after the fact or not tell me at all. And so there isn't that vulnerability. There isn't that that you're that person. And um, it's so hard to cultivate intimacy yeah. when there's not that vulnerability. Exactly. So... In your final year of marriage, you guys were not only in a challenging season as a couple, but you also gave birth to your first child, which is tough on any marriage, strong or mm. in a challenging season. Mm. How did your pregnancy and I think, I guess, the newborn stage further impact or compound your guys' troubles at that time? Well, I had quite a tough pregnancy in the sense that, you know, it wasn't just morning sickness, it was morning, noon and night sickness. <laughs> and it wasn't just for the first trimester, it was probably up until about 25 weeks. Wow. And Jay really stepped up and looked after me. He was there with the Marmite toast, the tea in the bucket, holding my hair. It was incredible. And I think he found purpose in that and enjoyed being there for me. And then mum came over for... The birth of our son. From South Africa. From South Africa. She came over for a few months, which was super special and helpful. Unfortunately, I think instead of taking that opportunity for 
Jay and I to take a minute and go away for a weekend or have a date. Instead of doing that, Jay kind of stepped back a little bit. I mean, he was there, but he stepped back and left mum and I to it. And I remember like he would go surfing with the guys or something like that. And while your son was like really in that newborn stage. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. He changed nappies and things, but there was the sense of he was stepping further away. Right. And the sad thing is that I would have loved to have gone surfing with them. <laughs> Maybe not straight away. I just had a C-section. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I was always wanting to join him yeah. in those things. Yeah. And... Did your mum, was your mum sort of privy to any of those dynamics? Uh, yeah, I think, I think when she saw that it was a red flag for her, she, she understood that she was there, she's a babysitter. And yes, he, uh, you know, our son was a newborn, so we had to be around a lot, but it, it meant we could have, you know, popped away. Yeah. Just, just had there were things two of us a little bit, you know? But it just felt like maybe there were other things he'd rather... Be doing. Be yeah. doing. Yeah. So what other moments stand out as significant in the months leading up to Jay finally sort of saying that he wanted to separate? I remember about a year and a half prior, I opened up to a really close friend and I told her that I had had these feelings of what would it be like to be with someone else? And I remember feeling awful for ever letting a thought like that creep into my mind. And it wasn't even anyone specific. There was no one, like it wasn't a person. It was just the idea of someone who would make me feel more appreciated, who would make me feel adored and wanted to take me out to dinner, you know. And as hard as it was, I did tell Jay how... I was feeling. After that conversation After with the that girlfriend? Con- yeah. Did, yeah. Was, did she encourage you or what was... Yes, yes. Yes, she did, which I'm grateful for. And I think that shocked him, but there was no real change that came from that. So you told him you've, ha- you've been having these feelings of, like, what would it be like if I was in a marriage where I felt adored and loved and and romanced yes and he was shocked by that but but sort of failed to sort of implement any changes into his behavior yeah I and I think I brought up concerns of us needing to work on our marriage and to prioritize us yeah the the response was more that like you know we're okay you need to work on you like I think he often expressed that he can't be the source of my happiness. And I I think we just saw that differently. I wasn't expecting him to be my only source of happiness, but then needed to be more in the marriage. It just felt like I was being neglected a little bit. What else do you remember? So fast forward about 18 months from that, and I remember Jay had just been away for about 10 days overseas on a work trip. And he'd gotten home while I was out with our son. He was seven months now. And as I drove up and parked just outside the house, I could see him there washing his car. 
and I had our, our son in my arms and I was walking over towards him and he looked at me and he was, he was just kind of like, hey, and carried on washing his car. <laughs> it was such a simple moment, but I was like, he's been gone for 10 days. Like, I've missed him, <laughs> but it just, uh, yeah, I just, I was like, something's not right. Yeah. And then the next night, or that night, I can't remember exactly, but we were at um, our friend's birthday party and I'd met this woman who'd just gotten engaged and she was super excited and she was showing me her ring. And then we were talking about guys' rings and how, you know, they don't always know what they want. And I said, oh, well, I designed Jay's ring and he was nearby, so I called him over to show us his ring and he just really calmly said, oh, no, uh, I lost it a while ago. So I was like, oh, well, we need to replace it. And he said, no, you know, I don't really like wearing it anyway. Like it's uncomfortable. And I just know that in that moment I was like, there's more to this. Yeah. And I felt like the ground was coming out from underneath me. I felt like I was losing my foundation. Are you feeling a little overcommitted or just like it's time for a digital detox? Same. Bumble has introduced Snooze, a feature that allows you to pause your matches and profile activity for 24 hours, 72 hours, a week or indefinitely. Bumble recognises that everyone needs a break sometimes and they encourage you to go offline so you can come back to the app a healthier, more balanced person whenever you're ready. When your profile is snoozed, you have the option to set an away status that can be seen by your matches as these connections will remain. Snooze mode was developed after Bumble CEO Whitney Wolfherd identified how use of social media and digital platforms can create a constant noise rather than a place for mindful connection. The team at Bumble are here to help you foster healthy relationships that are central to helping you live a healthy and positive life. Download Bumble today and make the first move. One app, three modes, one mission. So now tell me about the conversation when he first brought up this option of, because before we even get to, you know, a place of wanting to divorce, there's that time where people have to separate. So tell me yeah. about that conversation. Yeah, so that, it kind of was, was that weekend. So by the end of that weekend, we were in bed and I just started crying. And he said to me, what's wrong? So I said, well, you tell me, because... I'm feeling like there's something wrong. And he said, well, we haven't been happy for a very long time. And I, yeah, was like this. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't compute. I, I was like, sorry, what? <laughs> he said, we haven't been happy for a very long time. And I said, well, you've, you haven't said anything. And, and there were times where I literally asked him, are you happy? And so the conversation progressed kind of, kind of. And I said, well, what are you saying? Like, is leaving me an option? Which I just barely managed to get out. Yeah. And he said, well, it has to be if we're not happy. And that was it. Uh, that was it. I just remember being on the floor. So you were lying in bed having this conversation. 
Yeah, and then I was on the floor hyperventilating, which sounds very dramatic, but on, no. on, I was de- I I could not actually understand what was going on. What 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 did you do? Did you guys just go to sleep as normal or? Well, I was crying. He he came over, and I think he kind of hovered, and I think. He was saying it out loud for the first time, so he's probably pro- processing it, but I just, yeah, I was devastated. I did not, like... Couldn't believe uh, it. I couldn't believe it. So what followed from there was a state of pretty much devastation and desperation because now I'm like, what do I do? Whereas for him, he kind of just went on as normal because he, I think he'd, he'd said it out loud he'd now. He'd said his piece. So he kind of just, to me, he checked out a little bit. Um, so, like, I remember uh, a couple of days later, I hadn't even said anything to my close girlfriends because I just didn't know what was going on. And a couple of days later, a friend phoned. It was a simple question. I was like, hey, how are you going? And I said, I don't even know how to say this. And... I filled her in, and that night the girls were around and with the takeout and the wine, and I was on the kitchen floor a mess. And, I yeah, that was a stage of limbo, and I I fought, like, fought. To salvage that marriage. To salvage marriage, our marriage. But I think he... He had already made up his mind. He just didn't know how to execute it. And I think he was scared of getting it wrong, but but he had already made up his mind. Like, he had checked out. So when a month and a half later we're having a conversation and he talks around the consequences of what it would mean if we separated and I'm like, you're talking about the consequences, but you haven't actually said it, and I can't, I can't say it for you because this is definitely your decision. This is not what I want. He eventually said, "Yeah, I want a divorce," and I think in that moment, it was actually a relief because I knew where I stood. Yeah, I got some something from him because I felt like I wasn't getting anything, and it, it you know what, during that time, it actually felt. I know it wasn't him, but it, it, he felt it felt like he was being cruel to me because he was not there, he was not available, and I was having to play catch up on this decision. Yes, because he'd obviously been maybe ruminating on it for a while now. Yeah. Whereas this was brand new information to you. I, I, like I, I just blindsided. So he said, "Yeah, I want to divorce," and I remember we were literally sitting on the couch, ha- like having a glass of wine, and then I was like, "Okay." I need to go phone my parents. And I went out into the street because I can't have that conversation in the house. I went out to the street and I didn't even consider the time difference <laughs> in South Africa. And I FaceTimed my parents. And that was the first time I was saying it out loud to my parents. I'm getting a divorce. Jay has just asked me for a divorce. So now I want to speak about your faith. Because as someone who is a Christian and as someone who you grew up in the church, you've always had a close close relationship with Jesus and prayer. And, you know, there are things that the Bible says and teaches us about 
marriage and I wonder how the end of your marriage impacted your faith. Mm, yeah, that's a great question. I take marriage very seriously. We both entered it saying divorce wasn't an option and I still believe, absolutely believe in the promise and the covenant that it is. And you would think, you would think as a Christian getting a divorce that I would feel ashamed, but I can tell you that I honestly don't. Like I can walk into my church not feeling any judgment. My pastors were one of the first people I told and they've been with, they've been with me every step of the way. And I feel confident that in a biblical sense, I'm under no condemnation. The Bible does outline a few grounds for divorce. And in my case, my husband leaving me is an abandonment, neglect situation. And I honestly feel free. God has told me that I haven't failed, that I'm not broken. When my heart broke for our marriage, God's heart broke too, but he's carried me. Um, and I, I just remember desperately clinging to him. Like I just went to God and I'm like, you have to carry, carry me. I like prayer became the thing I relied on completely. And my relationship with God is stronger and more personal now more than ever. So with a 10-month-old baby mm. in a country you didn't grow up in, you suddenly found yourself a single mother for the very first time. When did you know it was time to start dating again? So when you put it like that, you can see how the <laughs> odds don't seem to be in my favour. <laughs> oh, look, there is no set formula. There's no like timeline. timeline. There's no accurate, like appropriate amount of time you wait before you take off the ring. Oh, you open yourself up to meeting someone or a kiss or falling in love. I wasn't thinking about any of that when, when a good friend of mine took, took me out, you know, and there was this German model. <laughs> Is the fact that Isn't it's there German always? Yeah. and a model relevant? I don't know. but we... Aren't they always? <laughs> there was this German model who paid me some attention and um, there was this moment where I was like, oh, okay, I'm not done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not finished. My story's not over. Yeah, exactly. And then I, I knew I would, I would date again. And, but I think it's important to, to have patience. I think it's important to realise that when it comes to healing and closure, there are some things that you just can't fast track. Yeah. Yeah. And so what has dating been like? Do you feel like you had that rebound stage that people oh. talk about? <laughs> yes, I def like look, my my I'm gonna be very, very honest. <laughs> my biggest struggle was going home to an empty bed. Because at the end of the day, when you climb into bed, you have that person, you get into their arms and you know they've got you and you've got them and there was just so much grief and pain in that empty bed. So 
yes, I had a rebound stage and that was like putting a Band-Aid on open surgery, okay? It was not working. <laughs> but I got through it with the help of some very close friends who I was very honest with every step of the way. I think I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that God has helped me find happiness before finding a man. Yeah, wow. And I know that you and I have spoken about our individual experiences on Bumble. Yes. So as a single mother, what has what has like the general consensus been in terms of online dating and Bumble and things like that? So I was actually pleasantly surprised um, because you kind of think like, oh my gosh, I'm a single mom. I'm not in my twenties anymore. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I was pleasantly surprised by the reaction to. Kiwi men or reaction from Kiwi men to the fact that I am a mother a lot of them were like really supportive and some of them were even attracted by it or attracted to it attracted to it (laughs) yeah and look more than anything I want this episode to be about hope about how sometimes when we experience trauma, it requires us to sort of retrain our brains to be optimistic again, to be hopeful for our Mm. futures. One of my favorite quotes is, faith walks up the stairs that love built and opens the window that hope built. Mm. How pivotal has your faith been in your belief that despite everything, despite the divorce, despite the way things ultimately played out with Jay, that mm. you will find love again? Mm. I I believe love will find me. I believe I will get married again and I will enter that committed to it being forever. And some may call that foolish, but I call that faith. I think in a time of such loss... Uh, I lost my person, I lost my identity, and I thought I lost my future. God was telling me that I am loved, I'm not alone, that he will show me who I really am. And and his overwhelming message to me was to dream big. I, I remember one night I was sitting in bed and I grab my Bible and I'm like, Lord, speak to me. <laughs> and I <laughs> Give did, me something good. Give me something. <laughs> and I did that classic flip open the Bible and see what God says. And I landed in Jeremiah chapter 32. And as you get into it, there's this promise of restoration. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's great. And I don't know why, let's call it the Holy Spirit. But <laughs> I thought to myself, but Lara, you're 33 this year. So you need to, you need to move on to chapter 33 and I'm reading through Jeremiah chapter 33 and I get to verse 11 okay now Maddie (laughs) November is the 11th month of the year and that's when I turn 33 and Jeremiah 33 verse 11 says the joyful voices of bridegrooms and brides will be heard again and that's my promise and I hold on to that Oh my God. Looking back on the journey of the past two years, in what ways do you feel different as a person and where are you finding purpose now? Aside from your wow. beautiful son. <laughs> oh my gorgeous, gorgeous son. Wow. Okay. So I, I realized I'd become a shell of a person. I didn't, re- I didn't see how bad it gotten, but when I look back, yeah. Whereas I've grown now and 
who I am now is a truer version of Lara. I love who I've become. When people give me compliments, I accept it as truth. And I just, I've learned so much about myself. I've learned so much about my relationship with God and my relationship with people. It's been the worst and the best thing that has happened to me. And I think community is incredibly important. We're not meant to do life alone. And I'm so thankful for the people that surround me. Yes, I've rediscovered myself and you, you need to do that. But we are put into, in, into the radius of other people for a purpose. And I've got my family, they're not right here, but they've been with me. My cousin who is here has been my rock. I've got my church, my pastors, my close friends, my new friends. I started boxing at Studio Box and got community there. And we're just not meant to walk alone. In terms of purpose, I never imagined that single mums would be my people, but they are, and I am in awe of them, and I am proud to stand with them. And I think that our story is not ours alone. There's always someone next to us that needs encouragement. And I hope from me and my story, what shines out is is grace and gratitude. Grace because when like when we forgive, we release ourselves as well as the other person. And gratitude because when we look forward through a lens of gratitude, it might not alter the journey we have to take, but it will change the way we walk it. Lara, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.